court has said, okay, if what you say is true and these seeds went through U.S. jurisdiction to get to Nicaragua, prove it. Get us documentation that the U.S. allowed those seeds through its jurisdiction and we'll release Dr. Paul Wiley. And I was just dumbfounded that somebody who's working on plants that have no psychoactivity whatsoever could be put in a Nicaraguan prison. It just, it broke my heart. Welcome to the Miracle Plant Podcast, the show that inspires, promotes, and gives you a daily dose of inspiration from the people who have used cannabis to change their lives in extraordinary ways. Here's your host, Justin Benton. Welcome back to the Miracle Plant Podcast, where we get to talk about and share stories, my story and incredible stories from all over the world, how this miracle plant has helped people. Today, we have a very special guest, Patrick Goggin, who's been dedicating over half of his life to advocacy for this miracle plant. And I can't wait to have him on as a guest to share his story, his insights, and his experience with how this miracle plant has helped him and helped so many people all over the world. Ladies and gentlemen, Patrick Goggin, how are you, my friend? I'm doing really well, Justin. How are you doing this morning? Fantastic. Thanks for asking. Another sunny day out here in uh, Southern California. I know you're up there in Northern California and uh, so excited to have you on as a guest. Your, your knowledge is second to none. Your experiences are incredible, but we all have a story of how this miracle plant changed our lives forever. And I just would love to hear your story, Patrick. I'd say that this part of the story emanates and evolves from the point at which I was in college at UC Santa Barbara. I was studying history and I think my brother actually got me uh, a volume, a copy of The Emperor Wears No Clothes, Jack Harris book, where I took my history experience and education and applied it when I was reading that book, which was, it's the history of, I'd say the concerted conspiracy to down the, the cannabis plant and give rise to the plastics and to the petrol and, and to other competing industries. And when I learned that history, I was appalled and I couldn't believe that it's one thing to target a, a substance that is psychoactive and potentially causing challenges in the community, which I don't agree with the prohibition of that. That said, if you're when you're going after industrial hemp and a plant that is both innocuous from a societal perspective, but also so beneficial from an environmental sustainable perspective, as well as uh, healing for the human body. I just, I felt that I was, I couldn't allow this story to continue without doing something about it. So when I came out of law school or, or college, I decided that I needed to up my voice and do something about it. And I was coming from an advocacy perspective. I felt that in order to lead, help to lead the charge or to, to do something, I needed to get a law degree and, and to have my voice be respected. And I can tell you that during the time that I was going to law school, I went to law school at Lewis and Clark up in 
Portland and focused on its environmental program. I came back down to California, I believe it was the summer of 1993. And there was this great uh, music festival, the Laguna Seca Days. And, and I was reconvening with my good friends and connecting with them. And it was at that point in 1993 where I really had a vision. And the vision was the refarming of hemp in our California agricultural fields. And at that point, I just started spreading what I felt like was the good news. And I was speaking to, I don't know anybody that would hear me, but I was basically asserting in a very confident manner that we were going to be farming this plant again. And little did I know that it would take 21 years. But I think that was really the genesis of my entree into hemp. And then and once I got out of law school and I went into practice with my father at the time, I did so on the basis that we needed to do some environmental advocacy. I got We got involved in a Clean Water Act case down in Laguna Beach. And I felt that inside of that litigation that we had proven our case only to be have the case dismissed. And while we compelled major changes and upgrades to the water district's water treatment facilities, I, I was left feeling very deterred and disappointed in our judicial system. The, judici the, the system in which I saw as the vehicle and pathway to making change. And I, I felt like I was confronted with some corruption at the highest levels within the judicial system. So I took a step back. I, I took a pause. I garnered support from my family and friends and decided that I really needed to focus. En environmental law is expansive and specialized. And I felt that for me to really have an, the effect that I wanted to have, I needed to focus. And I ultimately focused, uh, I believe it was in probably around 1998, to focus my energy on hemp. And there lies the story and subsequent numerous stories to follow. And I love that you mentioned Jack Herrera in his book, uh, The Emperor Wears No Clothes. And I bought a copy recently off of, I can't remember where, probably Amazon. And it was an old school copy, like a first or second edition and in pretty good shape. I think I spent about a hundred bucks on it and I was reading through it and just blown away by the content and the accuracy and, and really the history of how the plant was brushed aside and demonized literally in uh, 1937 with reefer madness and the passing of the marijuana tax act that took a, a crop that was such a fundamental cash crop in colonial America. As we all know, George Washington grew hemp, and Thomas Jefferson, and the list goes on and on. Even you, if you were a farmer, you had to pay taxes or could pay taxes in hemp, and you had to grow an acre of, of hemp on your farmland uh, because it was so valuable for textiles and ropes and clothes and paper and, and all the other things that we can do. And that's part of the beauty of the miracle plant is that it does have over 50,000 uses. And as Jack Herrera famously quoted, hemp may not save the world, but it's the only thing that can. And Doug Fine, the fine author in our industry, also likes to 
add on a little bit extra, which is in other regenerative um, plants like bamboo that can replace the petroleum oil-based products that we see rampant all over our country and all over the world and in plastic islands floating around in, in the Pacific Ocean. So it really is just incredible. I know you've dedicated your life and kudos to you. And it's just incredible to hear your story and your journey and your passion. And we would not be where we are as a country, certainly as a state and, and as a world without your efforts, without your dedication, without your expertise, without your skill, fighting the good fight to get this plant back where it belongs, which is helping the planet, helping the people, helping all of us in so many ways. So I know that we had the passing of the farm bill in 2018 uh, in December, which was a very big landmark achievement for the plant. And I know you were very involved with that. And it was it really was a red letter day for all of us in the industry. But maybe speak to a little bit more to since that's happened and some more wins that are coming and some more wins that you see coming in the future, in the very near future. I'd say the hemp story and the successes and the victories don't come without the prior defeats. And that is something that I think is really important to emphasize that this, and I'm going to get there, but th there's a long arc of progress here. And I'm going to start with the, with California and, and I'll get to 2018, but we have to talk about how we got to 2018, 2014, and here in California, 2013. States started introducing hemp legislation at the end of the 90s. And I, I do believe that there were there was really no state, at least in the early days, that was able to pass hemp legislation without first losing. Here in California, when we when then Assembly Member Mark Leno introduced the hemp legislation in 2005, it garnered opposition from law enforcement and the greatest law enforcement lobbyist in California over the past 50 years, probably John Lovell, took it upon himself to defeat the bill. And he proudly proclaimed that any legislation that he opposed died. And we were daunted by that fact, walking around the halls of the state capitol, pounding the doors of assembly members and senators' offices, only to find ourselves with three vetoes occurring over a seven-year period between 2005 and 2011 after getting through the legislature. We would push back that opposition, get through the legislature, do gymnastics with amendments that we took only to get vetoes, two by Schwarzenegger and one by Governor Brown. And it was only in 2013 by making our legislation condition, the, it going into effect was conditioned upon the laws changing at the federal level. And fortunately, we had a change in 2014, which really started the process. That was the 2014 Farm Bill that authorized for the first time in 70 years, or actually it would have been the late 50s, but and definitely since the Controlled Substances Act, 
farming hemp again in the United States when we'd been relying upon imports from Canada and Europe and China and other parts, far-flung parts of the world. But that the passage of the 2014 Farm Bill was the beginning of the change and the rest it is history, as we say. And, and while the 2014 Farm Bill's hemp amendment requires some connection to research, fast forward to 2018, it's full-fledged commercial farming. And the floodgates opened and we had hundreds of thousands of hemp acres farmed last year in the United States, which was a huge success. However, it's not without significant challenges because most of the hemp is being used for creation of hemp oil and CBD rich oil. And there's just not enough processing for that. And of course, we've got the FDA's position that the product is prohibited in spite of the fact that's never been challenged in court. And that has created significant bumps along the road, so to speak. That all said, going back a little bit to your comment about Doug Fine and about it may not save the world, but it can. I like to say that it is a significant piece of the sustain the sustainability pie. And now we have that piece of the pie in full-fledged, growing, expanding form. So where are we headed? In the state of California, we've been working hard over the past several years to overcome the FDA's prohibition or alleged prohibition on CBD products, only to be derailed again at the 11th and a half hour, this time not by vetoes, but more by politics that occur here in California at the end of sessions, turf battles, budget battles between the Senate and the Assembly and the governor's office. That all said, this past session, we were closer than we ever got. We believed that we had a regulatory structure and scheme in place for these products, which would not only be a boon for hemp farmers and manufacturers in the state, but it would provide most importantly consumer protection for the, on these products. And unfortunately it didn't pass. And, and we're sitting here today with the status quo of our department of public health, continuing to say that these products are prohibited. Meanwhile, the number of products on the shelves continue to, to grow and expand. And, and at the same time, the, consumer safety protections are not in place. So after going through our experience on the hemp production side and failing those defeats, we're not about to cower in our shoes. We are going to continue to move forward and to refine the legislation that could have passed last session and make it better for the farmers, make it better for the consumers and make it as good as possible for the regulators. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, I know it was AB2028, which was the latest version of the California hemp bill that we're trying to get uh, passed so we can be on par with Colorado and so many other states that have made it very legal, very clear that CBD retail sales and food and supplements is 
100% legal and here's the channel, here's what you need to do with your GMP certifications, just like other natural supplements and things like that. Any comments on New York? I think they just passed something. I saw Kentucky did. I know New York was a little involved with California's uh, negotiations with our governor to get everything straightened out. Any comments on, I know Kentucky is one of the original states that helped with hemp and it's great to see that they passed laws that made it very clear for CBD in food and in beverages and, and uh, supplements. But uh, I'm not, is there a, is there an update on New York? I'm not, I'm not up to speed totally. They on- just, they're rounding uh, the corner. So they're coming up and it looks like they're starting to move. There's a lot of movement that's going on. So I think they're the next domino that might fall. And, and we can talk about that on another future podcast. I didn't know. I know New York was coming in. What I, would, I do have a comment about New yeah. York. And I think the problem with New York was that they were favoring and, and creating or attempting to create protections for New York produced hemp and that the processing of hemp and was going to be somehow limited to New York hemp. And I felt, and I think a lot of us felt that it's unconstitutional and that we're the United States and we're we're not these, we're not separate nation states that are creating protectionism. And maybe we are now because of who our president is, but hemp, hemp just doesn't like those attempted boundaries placed around it. Just our entire agricultural economy depends upon the free flow of materials and resources between the states. And our courts have are have long chagrined efforts to somehow protect local and, and, and state enterprises from outside competition and influences. So I think that was the biggest problem in New York. And I'm, I'm really glad to hear that they're rectifying it. Yeah, it's it's good news. And, and we'll all get there. And like I said before, thankfully, because of you helping you know, getting all of uh, the ducks in, in order, it's invaluable. And I know I'm involved and we're both on the California Hemp Council. You're the lead counsel for the California Hemp Council. And when they first started negotiating with us out here in California, I don't even want to talk about some of the things that they wanted, but it's without your help and all the all the gang down there, up there in Sacramento, it was incredible how far we moved the ball. And yes, we're down to the one yard line and we'll cross that goal line soon in 2021, fingers and toes crossed. But And I know that there's a new player and this Miracle Plant podcast is about talking about the stories and how this plant has helped us. And I know we're going more down the actual industrial uses and and fiber applications and things of that nature and CBD, which has obviously helped so many people in so many ways. One other thing while we're on this subject is I thought we should at least mention the DEA. Mm. And we've certainly clashed and you've clashed with them over decades. And they're trying to put their toe back uh, into the water or, or throw their hat back into the ring. And I know that you work with Bob Hoban and Hoban Law Group, and uh, you've set up a hemp legal defense fund that I've contributed to. And I encourage anybody who's listening to this podcast who has a stake in the industry, especially if you're an extractor, to reach out to me or Patrick to learn more. And we'll have a link in the show notes where you can contribute, but contribute what you can, because as Patrick will let you explain what the DEA is trying to meddle with in this industry. Yeah, that's hemplegaldefensefund.com. Yeah, and 
In August, actually, this is another interesting, perhaps coincidental, who knows, maybe intentional crossroads that occurred in August. Right as we were in the midst and in the heated negotiations with the Department of Public Health and and the administration here on passing and refining the language for the hemp extract legislation and manufacturing here in California, the DEA published a new interim final rule, IFR, it's commonly referred to as. And they did so in an interesting way, very consistent and similar to how they've done so in the past, where they will issue the rule and say it is an immediate effect because it doesn't have to go through notice and comment. But at the same time, they will create a notice and comment period. And what the rule said was they said that the DEA said that they are, it's an interpretive rule. They're merely stating what the law is and they're making no, no lawful changes to the statute or they're not really engaged in rulemaking. And, but what they say is they take, they take this absurd reading of the definition of hemp and they take it out of the context of the farm bill and the hemp production act within it. And they essentially say that the definition that includes extracts, it's basically cannabis sativa L and its extracts, derivatives, cannabinoids, and anything derived from hemp with a THC, with, with a THC level of less than, or Delta nine level, less than 0.3% on a dry weight basis. And they conclude that any hemp material during the manufacturing process that rises above the level of 0.3%, no matter whether it's in an interim form or in a fu- finished product, it doesn't distinguish. It says that's a controlled substance. They say the rule says that's a controlled substance. It becomes a controlled substance as soon as the material rises above 0.3%. But we know, Justin, that anytime you are engaged in an extraction process, it's concentrating materials. Everybody knows that. It's no, there's, it's not a secret. And it's been the case for a number of years. And so what inspired the DEA to come forward a year and a half and more beyond the passage of the farm bill to issue this rule? What was, why did they do that? What was so important at that time? Was it because California was working to pass that legislation? I don't know. I, I think it's a good question. But what that rule does is it effectively shuts down or it could potentially shut down the extraction industry because it renders anybody who's engaged in the in that process a, a, a criminal. Now, is the DEA engaged in enforcing this rule right now? That remains to be seen. We haven't heard a lot about that. However, that's not the way... Th- DEA operates. What they do is, and the Department of Justice often to begin with, is they take action and they hope that others do their bidding for them. So they, I would say that they take this action with the intention of putting a chill and 
dampening the industry and basically causing chaos. And they have to do nothing but issue a rule. So I was going to say, didn't you tell me too, and we've talked about this before, that part of the reason why they did this was to make themselves relevant and justify that they need funding and that they're doing something. It's like a marketing budget. If you don't spend it that quarter, you don't get it next year. No, that's a good point. The DEA, it relies on a budget that is appropriated annually. And as long as hemp and the cannabis plant is becoming more normalized, their budget goes down. So they are an overzealous, overreaching federal agency that is doing whatever it can to maintain its relevance and its budget. And I believe that remains to be a significant driving force behind their actions. Even in the face of the Farm Bill saying that the DEA has no jurisdiction, no authority for the regulation of industrial hemp. And Congress has written written back. Sponsors of the Farm Bill and particularly the Hemp Production Act within it have said that this rule flies in the face of congressional intent to to spur and encourage the expansion of the markets. And this does nothing but to hinder it and create a roadblock for it. And therefore, they're appalled and they're hoping that our actions in court, we filed a, a petition for review in the D.C. Circuit Court, as well as a declaratory relief action in the district court, in D.C. District Court, meaning that we're in D.C. challenging these rules, requesting courts to rule upon whether or not DEA has jurisdiction over hemp, and if so, when, to get these things clarified. And if necessary, we will go back to Congress to make the changes that are needed to fully, effectively remove DEA from hemp for all time. On the future of the the Miracle Plant and all that it can do, you can make batteries that are eight times more efficient than lithium that are biodegradable, which is mind-blowing. Obviously, you can make plastic and plastic bottles and just about anything that you can think of can be made out of hemp. And we really are yet to tap all of the uses and we need processing plants. So replace oil refineries with hemp refineries, essentially, is what Doug Fine's been talking about and all the great people out there in Colorado, uh, Pure Hemp and Pure Technologies out there with Ed. And we need support. And for those of you that are wanting to get into this industry and get into the trillion dollar side of the industry, which is the the fiber side, we certainly encourage you to reach out. We had an incredible event a couple of months ago called Burning Woman, which was all about the hemp plant and it really stepping up and taking the spotlight and, and replacing the petroleum based plastics of the world and all the, the damage that it does to the soil. So with that, I was also thinking, have, have you got a chance to see the movie Kiss the Ground, which just came out with uh, Woody Harrelson? Uh, it's on Netflix in a couple no. of really great movie. When you get a chance, it goes through. He's the narrator and talks about monocrop farming and the dust and all of the things that are really contributing to the greenhouse gases and even climate change. And it's a really good movie. I, I encourage everyone to take a look. 
in fact, the people that uh, produced the documentary are customers here of our store out here in Ventura in Ojai, California. And they came in and were they really loved our products and they really loved our story. And they were interested in doing a documentary on our story as well. So stay tuned for that. We've shot some mini documentaries, some short films. And Patrick, you were on one, which is crazy to think. Think how long ago it seems when you and I were talking at the last Milko. And I shot a little documentary called Hemp Heels. It's on our YouTube channel. And that was uh, about, what, a year and a half ago? 2019, March. Yeah. And April. doesn't that seem like about... Four years ago, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this. I think my mom likes to send out these jokes to our family group, and it has kept us together. She'll she'll also send out a political action thing. And during these past four years, it's we've remained a cohesive unit through the challenges that we've faced. And today, she sent one out about the time change, and it said something about going. We go forward. And on Sunday, can we just go forward for another four months? And I said, wait a second. No, we go backwards in the fall. Could we just go backwards four years in a month and just please do a do-over? No, seriously, the, the past year and a half, the past eight months, the past four years, it all feels an eternity. And, but part of that, is relative and it's put in the context of our lives. And I believe we were, we saw some real progress and a relatively bright future ahead only to, for a lot of us feel like it's been significantly curtailed by politics and by the pandemic. But we have to remain hopeful. We have to imagine a time that where life starts to improve and gets better and that we will look back upon this time as a period in which we built character, we built strength, and we built bonds. And hemp is an inspiring story for that. It was shut down for over half a century only to have a renaissance during this time. Ironically enough, it was Trump that signed the farm bill, the 2018 farm bill, probably unbeknownst to him to have any effect on hemp. That all said, in the face of the challenges that we are all uh, experiencing and looking at, we have to remain hopeful and vigilant and look forward to that time that we will be able to look back and say, God, I, I just, I'm happy and, and grateful that we stayed at it and we stuck with it and we didn't allow our, the demons out there to, to prevail because there are battles that are lost. And that's, again, to put a, a final point on it, we may lose battles, but we go back, we re regroup and we get ready for the next battle because we have to win the war. And that is the war on irrationality unreasonableness and industries that try to monopolize and maintain and protect themselves from sustainable, significantly contributing facets of our economy that are regenerative and not a part of the industrial, the military industrial complex, which is a death cycle. 
Yep. And that's what Kiss the Ground, the movie uh, talks so much about. And yeah, we, we could, we certainly know, no one can deny that the mother nature's pissed and however you want to look at it and feel about it, we're involved and as humans and contributing to the massive weather cycles and the, the uptick in temperature and and the pollution and all of those things matter. And really, it really does feel like this is our last chance for us humans to get it, to figure it out that, hey, you're either part of the problem or part of the solution. And all that you've done, Patrick, I like I said, kudos to you. Thank you. We wouldn't be where we are without your hard work and determination and resiliency to continue to fight the good fight. I know that in my heart. I've seen it. I, I just watched it a couple months ago when California had a bunch of crazy, hopefully they were just red herrings, <laughs> what they wanted to pass into California state, the CBD law, but, and you knocked them down, like getting a strike at a bowling alley. Before we wrapped up, I just wanted to uh, throw out there, again, the Miracle Plant has so much that it can offer humanity and, and cleaning up the soil and pulling out the toxins and the heavy metals and the pesticides and cleaning the soil and, and, and leaving it in a better place for future crops or just to keep the soil clean as far as carbon sequestering as well. And it, you can grow three or four harvests of hemp cannabis in one year, whereas a tree might take 20 or 25 years to grow. And it's just, it is a no brainer. And the more attention that we can bring to it and the more that we can open up the industry, which is what we're talking about here, the better. But also I wanted to wrap with any stories that you've been in the industry, you've been directly involved for, we're going on 30 years now, three decades. And what are some stories, if you don't have any, that's fine. But if you have a couple stories that you've seen or witnessed or experienced, how this plant has, has, has really affected a, an individual either in your circle or, or just some stories that you've seen over the years? Yeah. I, so my, do we have a few minutes? Cause yeah, well, yeah. absolutely. The floor is ours. Okay. I wanted to make one point and then I want to tell the story. And that is when I came out of college and really was learning about all the destruction environmentally that was going on. And historically I was a pretty bitter person and people weren't hesitant to let me know that like I was not a good fun to be around. And I learned, so I learned at that point uh, a couple things. One was that I needed to be happy and that I wasn't responsible for everything that was going on. And that in order for me to do something that I needed to take care of myself. So we all need to take care of ourselves. But in similarly, at that time, I, I was also saying, I, I saw the path that we were headed on and I said, and I was just like, that was why I was so bitter. But I realized at that point that nothing is happening or very, not enough is happening. And therefore it's a matter of shifting perspective and that, and understanding that in a, to a certain extent, and I don't want to be a defeatist, but to a certain extent, we're too far gone. We're like, we can, we cannot hold back the tide on climate change and the effects of climate change. And it's a matter of adapting and understanding what is going on so that we as a people, as a human race, as stewards to the planet or steward attempted stewards and stewards that aren't necessarily succeeding that, that we could 
adapt and ride that wave as opposed to giving up. So that's number one, that we have to maintain hope. And I've uh, reiterated that earlier. But my, so that leads into a few years after I got out of law school and I was focusing, wanting to focus on hemp, I, I reached out to an old hempster. I decided that I wanted to do the work. I did some research. I think it, this might have even been pre-Google, trying to find some other advocates out there. And I ultimately reached this guy, Donnie Wurtshafter. And he's out of Ohio, that he had the Ohio Hempery. And he got me involved in this matter where uh, viable hemp seed was being, it was in the midst of being transported from China to Nicaragua. And it was seized in the port of Long Beach. And this was like pre anything to do with hemp in, in terms of our laws. And it was basically, it was, a controlled substance. It was marijuana locked up in the port of Long Beach. And basically I was hired to go get it released so that I could get down to Nicaragua so that Dr. Paul Wiley, a Canadian botanist, could get to work on it down there. And in these early days of trying to develop those cultivars for the tropics, tropical climates. And I, so as a young attorney, you know, not really understanding what no means, I basically camped outside of the, the, the office that was responsible for this and just stayed until they released the seeds. And it was just this great victory. I was like, wow, I'm having an effect. Like these seeds are, they're freed, they're on their way and they're going to go help the tropics and get hemp down into Latin America and, and South America or Central America and South America. And, but then six months later, I get a call and it's the company that was involved in the project. And they say, look, we really appreciate that you got those seeds released, but we have a problem down here in Nicaragua. The federales came in, they chopped down the plants, they put Dr. Paul Wiley in prison. And the case has gone up to the Court of Appeals here. And the court has said, okay, if what you say is true, and these seeds went through U.S. jurisdiction to get to Nicaragua, prove it. Get us documentation that, that the U.S. allowed those seeds through its jurisdiction and will release Dr. Paul Wiley. And I was just dumbfounded that this could happen, that somebody who's working on plants without that have no psychoactivity whatsoever could be put in a Nicaraguan prison. It was just like, it broke my heart. Without having been paid from the prior work, I went to work. I couldn't, I just couldn't sleep at night knowing that somebody was holed up in godforsaken jail cell in Nicaragua. So I got back on the horn with this woman who was the bureaucrat who was responsible for helping me release the seeds before. And I, I told her the story and she kept coming back and saying, there's just nothing I can do. And I, again, I just, I'm like, wait a second. You said that the last time and we got those seeds released. Can't you just simply document the action because it happened. And ultimately she did. And so I got 
a the third page of a carbon copy. This is back when we had carbon copies. I don't know if your listeners know what carbon copies are, but they're they're I love the way they smelled. Yeah, they're three different pieces of paper. You write on the top and you get the imprint on the bottom copy. So I got that carbon copy. I got it down to Nicaragua. And lo and behold, Dr. Wiley was released. And I'll say, the funny part of the story is that I, I never got paid on the case. And it was really frustrating. But I have the story. And I made it into Dr. Wiley's book. Into, I don't know, page 428. I think you really that story is one of resiliency and of setting ourselves aside for the sake of making something happen that's beyond for somebody else. And that's why I got into the law was to have an effect on not just the environment for, but for people and for those who are downtrodden and, and have been left behind. And there's a story, there's another story, which we can talk another day about Alex Whiteplume and the Lakota who had, who worked hard to try to reintegrate hemp into their agricultural activities only for the DEA to go in and chop his hemp down and treat him like a criminal in the 2000s. The lives that have been affected by this absurd policy are endless and growing and we need it to stop. And that's why we got you, brother. <laughs> You're Johnny on the spot. There's nobody that I would pick up the phone quicker uh, on speed dial if, if I had an issue or if I knew an issue needed to be resolved than you. So I do thank you for all of your hard work, all of your perseverance. You've been a blessing to this industry and we are so honored and thankful to have you on the episode as we're getting this miracle plant podcast kicked off for anyone who has more questions that obviously recognizes the brilliance and the expertise of Patrick and want to ask more questions or potentially have you help them. And as they continue down their journey with uh, this best partner of all time, hemp slash cannabis slash whatever you want to call this miracle plant, how do they get a hold of you, Patrick? You can reach me at patrick at hoban.law, or you can text me on my phone, 415-312-0084. Don't call it. Just text me. Let me know who you are, and I'll get back to you. And I, I would be remiss as we wrap up the show without at least acknowledging your Dodgers, your Brooklyn mm -hmm. Dodgers with your Brooklyn hat have have come home with the ring after 32 years since the Lakers and the Dodgers won it last time with Kirk Gibson's home run, which I know you were there for, and you got to share that experience with me, which is so cool. And uh, congratulations to your Dodgers. Justin, thank you so much. And I'll take it. I, I definitely didn't do anything to help the team along the way other than to add to the uh, collective fandom and voice them, but it's been a long, hard road. But I have a really good feeling that it won't take another 32 years to get another ring. You guys are definitely set up for success. And I was very happy for the Dodgers and all the Dodger fans out there. Myself, personally, I'm a Mets fan, but I am tied to the Brooklyn Dodgers. 
because they left Brooklyn to come out here to LA and in the forming of New York Giants going to San Francisco, we took the orange from the New York Giants and the blue from the Brooklyn Dodgers and formed the New York Mets. So we're an offspring of it. So it's in some way, it's a slight win for us. If you could look at it some positive way, we, we haven't won since 86 and we've been to a, a couple world series and had, had our heart broke. But just like this hemp journey, you can lose some battles and you get some battle scars, but it makes the victory taste all that much sweeter. So again, Patrick, thank you for coming on and sharing your story and continuing to fight the good fight. We need more uh, people like you, and we're so happy to have you on the Miracle Plant Podcast. And for all of our listeners, again, if you have a story to share, uh, please reach out to us. We love talking about all the amazing things that this Miracle Plant can do. And until next week, We'll see you on the Miracle Plan podcast and have a great week, everybody. Take care. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin. And I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.